Way of Oneness. Hi everyone, I'm Christopher Kakuyo Sensei, and I'm a Sensei of the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship. We are an independent, transsectarian, all-inclusive American Sangha in the Mahayana tradition. The Way of Oneness podcast is a collection of our Dharma talks, delivered at our Salt Lake City Fellowship Sangha. Enjoy the Dharma talk. So for today's Dharma talk, I want to start by sharing the story of Lin Shan and Tuang An. Lin Shan was once asked by his teacher, Tuang An, what is the business beneath the patched robes? Now, the patched robes he's referring to are the traditional robes, robes of the monastics. Now, in the early days of the Sangha, the Buddha taught the monastics that they were to make their robes out of pure cloth, which meant cloth that no one wanted, cloth that had been chewed on by rats or oxen, scorched, or even from menstrual blood. Monks would scavenge cloth from rubbish heaps and cremation grounds, and then they would wash them and create robes out of them. By the time of Lian Shan and Tuang An, the patched robe also served as a multi-layered presentation or representation of the monks, uh, the monks' commitments to the Buddha and their status as monks. So here is Lian Shan, and it seems to me that he's asking his teacher I know what these robes represent, I know what we are doing, but what is the meaning of all this? What is the meaning deep inside us, under the skin? Or in other words, what are we doing? What are we doing? And the priest had no answer. Tuan An said, studying the way and still not reaching the next level, is a most painful thing. So then his teacher says to him, ask me again. So the student, the priest, Lian Shan, asked again, what is the business between the patched robes? His teacher's reply was intimacy. And the student and priest was greatly awakened. I love this story, and I love this aspect of the teaching. On a certain level, it's an unexpected one, but it's the heart of the teachings and the heart of awakening itself. For Dogen Zenji, the father of Japanese Zen, has said, Enlightenment is intimacy with all things. Intimacy is something that many of us struggle with because it requires an ever-increasing levels of opening ourselves up to the outer world and to ourselves. It requires a softening of boundaries, and this can be terrifying because of the vulnerability that is at its heart. Those that we are most intimate with are those 
who know our darker sides or shadow selves and are still with us. Intimacy is a sense of closeness, warmth, a holding dear, a sacred space. It is in this safe space that our intended and unintended disclosures open us to the heart of intimacy. Now, I really appreciate these lines from Sado, um, a teacher. Our closest intimate relationships are built on time and trust, fostering mutual enrichment, appreciation, and increased ability to risk. To feel like you really know someone's heart is to rest in this intimacy, to be open and impacted by the other is to know this intimacy, end quote. Now, for many of us, this kind of closeness is focused only on a small few, and for a lot of us, only our lover or spouse. And that is hard enough. How many marriages even rise to this level of emotional intimacy or fearless disclosure. How many of us are wearing masks in our families and when we look in the mirror at ourselves? It is easy to be naked next to a lover, but to untie these masks, some we're not even aware of, is much harder and is the path of courage. As Guillaume Cabose Sensei teaches, modern man has too many masks to wear. We must unmask and be ourselves, sincerely, earnestly, and live truly as we are. End quote. How hard is that? To not just show our front, but to show our back. To hide the darker side, the side we think is unlovable and to let it be seen in the light of day. So then our practice is to do that very thing. It is to cultivate intimacy with all things. To see, as one Zen teacher puts it, quote, how intimately we are woven together with each other and to embrace ourselves as we are and to embrace everyone as she or he is. So our practice is this. It is the cultivation of intimacy with all things, including ourself. And that's where we need to start. You would think that that would be easy considering how much time we spend with ourselves. Far from it. Doing time is not the same thing as being intimate. Continually judging ourselves and others, continually judging our experience as good or bad, is the opposite of intimacy. It is the thief of closeness. The ironic thing is that we can live a vast part of our whole lives in a sort of protective autopilot. Most of us, myself included, do not live actively engaged with life, intimate with life. 
We live lives where we walk through a maze of thoughts, stories, worries, expectations, frustrations, and disappointment. And that's just during our drive to work. In this haze, as Hosen has written, we can be shrouded in a cloud of depression, thoughts of what is going wrong, one after another. End quote. The ironic thing is that we think we are intimate with ourselves because who knows me better than me? But do you know yourself? Is that not the call of the Buddhas to know yourself? What do you know about yourself? And the self is greater than the stories you've been given or who you've been told you are or are supposed to be. In the state of mind we live, unaware of immediacy and intimacy and the access of daily grace, because we tend to live on the surface of things. And here is why we practice. We practice to cultivate our awareness practice so as not to live just on the surface of things, but at the heart of life itself. Chogyam Trungpa taught that meditation is the practice of making friends with yourself. Our meditation practice is about spending quality time with our own hearts and minds and learning not to be carried away by the drone of the small ego self and its continual litany of judgment, injustices, and disappointments but find that deeper, inerrant, inherent Buddha self obscured by all the noise. As the noise settles, as we settle, as we slow down, turn to our innate awareness, follow the rhythm of our breathing, then we can cultivate a calm that is the beginning of intimacy. This is why a regular awareness practice is so important. As Guillaume Kabose Sensei teaches, quote, it is only when we are calm that we are able to see things as they are. A disturbed or unsettled mind cannot see the truth of things, just as disturbed water cannot reflect the moon. End quote. When we say Namu Amida Butsu, it is one way that we can calm our troubled mind. When we choose to come together as we are, without a need to be anything than what we are at this very moment, whether it's happy or sad, confused or scared, grieving or angry, any myriad of things that we may be feeling or experiencing, and if we can just be willing to bring it with us and let it sit beside us without judgment, be accepting and accept the invitation to come as we are, we can let go of most of the noise that says to us, we are unlovable, broken, or somehow less than we should be. 
by accepting the invitation to come as we are, namu amida butsu, we can become open to being really intimate with ourselves. Uchiyama Roshi teaches that to practice Zen meditation is to be intimate with the self. He goes on to teach, quote, in our daily lives, we always worry about our relations with others and we're absorbed in competition with them. To practice meditation is to let go of these comparisons and just sit, being the self that is only the self. End quote. As we cultivate this intimacy with ourselves that are only ourselves, we can then see a greater intimacy with those around us. As Zenkai Blanche Hartman teaches, quote, it begins with yourself becoming completely intimate with yourself. Through this intimacy with yourself, the possibility of being intimate with another arises naturally and spontaneously. End quote. At the heart of this intimacy that Dogen is speaking about is the way of oneness. As Sado again says, quote, when we meet in the absence of the idea of each other, there is intimacy. When there is just a bird song, there is intimacy. When I am afraid and separate, yet still, there is also intimacy. With trust, creativity, and curiosity, the information we need to proceed in the world is found in the entirety of these moments. So here's the important thing. As we engage with our world more intimately, the more we see, the more we become aware of all that is supporting us. Our default is not to see the world as it really is, but to see it as we are. Confused, afraid, on autopilot. If I'm a stranger to my own mind, or carried away by the rise and fall of thoughts and feelings, I am going to be blind to the grace that abounds all around me. Another, and the final aspect of intimacy that I want to talk about, is this cultivation of the practice of intimacy with all things. When we forget ourselves, then we are awakened by the myriad of things, Dogen teaches. This is because, as one teacher put it, quote, the myriad of things communicate their wisdom with their forms and sounds, and the emptiness, harmony, and uniqueness of the ephemeral self and the world as understood clearly, end quote. I see this as a call, as an integral part of our mindfulness practice, to become intimate with the sunrise and sunset, slow days basked in boredom, days shorter than a heartbeat, to turn our attention to the dance of bees and butterflies, of the color blue, or that scent of lilacs, to become intimate with the sound of thunder 
or the crash of waves or a waterfall in the desert. Turning our attention to the soil, to the sun, to each leaf helping us breathe, becoming aware of the grace of clouds and their gift of rain, or of the support of the universe sustaining us in each thing on our plate at dinner. In this awareness, our intimacy with these things, we can learn their wisdom. And by learning from them, it can help us realize our oneness. And it is there that we can meet in the absence of this idea of each another that is where true intimacy is found. I want to close with the words of Pema Chodron and Ikiyu, a 15th century Japanese poet. First from Pema Chodron. Quote, When we make friends with ourselves, we no longer have to be so self-involved. It's a curious twist. Making friends with ourselves is a way of not being so self-involved anymore. When we are not so self-involved, we begin to realize that the world is speaking to all of us all of the time. Every plant, every tree, every animal, every person, every car, every airplane is speaking to us, teaching us, awakening us. And from Ikiyu, the poet, every day, priests examine the Dharma and endlessly chant complicated sutras. Before doing that, they should learn how to read the love letters sent by the wind and rain, the snow and the moon. May it be so. When you look at the Buddhist teachings, the Buddhist teachings are all about relationships. It's all about interdependence. It's about connection. The Buddha himself said that the whole of the way is Kalyanamitra, spiritual friendship. It's about the intimacy that comes in spiritual relationships. So those who went to our retreat last year, it was the first time many of them had ever done a silent retreat. So from Friday night, once we open up our, our retreat, um, it's silent, only for class discussions. Do we have any conversation? The rest of the time, we don't talk. Now, uh, some formal Vespasana retreats, some long Zen retreats, they'll do that for a week. And it's completely silent. Okay, Some of you are getting anxious, just the thought of that. Trust me, just the one and a half days we do it, it's like, wow, I didn't realize how much I have to talk. But here's a really beautiful thing that happens in that. And it happens almost, it feels magically. We practice together in silence. And at the end of the retreat, there is this intimacy that is fostered in that silence together. Without words without ideas, without concepts. 
It's simply being together with one another in silence and in vulnerability that creates this connection, that creates this intimacy. And I think what it is, is that we are intentionally not staying on the surface of things to keep ourselves safe and protected. So I want to challenge you during this week to spend time with yourself, but not necessarily spend time with yourself like sitting down meditating. I'm getting to know myself. Yep, there, oh, that, oh, yep. Oh, there that is. Oh, and weird. Not that kind of thing. I want you to spend time with yourself as a perceiver of the world. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever done haiku or have ever read haiku. I would encourage you to pick up some haiku or to go online and print up some haiku. And when you first start reading it, you're going to go, this is stupid. It's like three lines. <laughs> I don't get it. And it's because you're not being a perceiver of the world that haiku can open for you. Okay? It's an invitation to slow down. I want to invite you to slow down. I want you to start seeing the world around you. So as you talk to somebody, a friend, a family member, somebody at work, somebody you're going to brunch with afterwards, look at them. <laughs> you're all going to get really self-conscious. Look at their eyebrows. Look at their cheeks, their lips, their hair, the way light reflects off of their face. Look at what they're wearing. Look at the color of their eyes. Look how when they share, they do this little thing with their with their with their with their with their, with their eyebrow that goes up. Notice stuff like that. Notice the color blue in your life. Notice sounds. Just just listen. Go to your house, turn everything off, and listen to your house talk to you. Especially an old one like me. It'll creak, it'll groan, it will sing, it will sigh. Be a perceiver of the world. Go into your backyard. <laughs> I turn around, and we have this tree in the back that looks like it's dead. Because we had to cut down, and it's exploded with blossoms the past few days. Simply pay attention. And what and that's part of like a gratitude practice is another way that you can pay attention. We tend to live on the surface of things. We live on autopilot. And and don't get me wrong, sometimes you have to. It's about survival sometimes. Okay? But most of the time it becomes habitual. So be a perceiver of life as it is. Let life teach you. Let the natural world around you teach you. Let the light teach you. Let the color blue teach you something today. 
as you look for blue today, you may find it in the simplest place. Namo Amida Butsu. Please contact us at saltlakebuddhist.org. Our website will give information about meetings and other services that we provide the community. Again, thank you for listening.